0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Unboxing Women, where we explore why women in business are often called such a bitch, with a focus on the music and entertainment industry. My name is Dana Rex, and with me is my friend, Micah Rose, and we are both independent recording artists and singer-songwriters based in Europe. You can listen to us on our YouTube channel and on your favorite podcast platform. Today with us is Sammy. She started her career in Australia as a trained opera singer. She began working with organizations such as Opera Australia, Opera Queensland and the ABC as a young soprano. And after a time, Sammy realized her place in the music world was not on stage, but rather behind the scenes. So she followed a new career path in producing, curating and music business, which ultimately led her to the UK and her current role specializing in commercial business affairs in radio and music at an international broadcaster. Hi, Sammy. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me. <laughs> wow. I, I have the feeling Sorry,
1: it just sounds like that sounds like, wow, what a <laughs> career.
2: <laughs> sounds well, not that well.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I have the feeling uh, there's much to discuss with regards to your career path so far. So could you start us off with your years in opera in Australia and how you got into that? Yeah, sure. Um Music's always been a pretty big part of my life. Um,
2: I was surrounded by it most of my childhood. Um, And then I got a music scholarship to my high school. um, And there it was really encouraged to explore different genres, different styles. um, And I just kind of fell in love with opera. It had never been anything that I'd really explored before. Um, And, you know, I got to 18, was finishing school and thought, you know, what the hell am I going to do now? Um and yeah took a whim and au- auditioned for the Conservatoire of Music. Wow. Um and that was kind of it really. Then the next 3 years was just pretty hardcore study. Um pedagogy, learning French, German and Italian, movement, the whole shebang. Um and it was a really fantastic education that I got there and really kind of prepared me for a really niche uh world that is the operatic arts. Um and then I think, you know, in terms of my actual career working as an opera singer, it was fairly short-lived, actually. Um, you know, I had some really interesting roles that I played, really enjoyed working with different organizations. But in the grand scheme of things, I was really young and I think I realized pretty quickly that it wasn't my forever um, mm. And I think it was quite early on that I realized just because I'm passionate about something and I love doing something doesn't necessarily mean it's it's the right thing for me to car- sort of p- pursue a career in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think by trying to make it my full-time job, I kind of fell out of love a little bit there. Um, so stepping away from that. And, and and it was really tied up in my identity as well. I'd kind of been the opera girl, you know, that that had been very much me my aspirations were tied up in that um even you know as an Australian opera singer Mecca is Europe right um you know Guildhall you've got all the incredible educational institutions over here Royal Opera House and so even where I lived and what I did was all very much encompassed in that kind of opera world and yeah stepping away from that was quite hard there was definitely a sense of kind of refinding myself who am I without that hmm. and what do I want to do next um but yeah it was it was a really fantastic chapter of my life and something that I still remember really really fondly um and dip in every now and That's then as well
1: a big step to say okay this is what I trained for but I'm not going to do that anymore yeah um, must have been a really huge life change
2: yeah it was it was really scary actually Um, Mm -hmm. and a big, big part of me felt like just a complete failure. Um, you know, the castings, the auditions, the going to different countries, trying your luck at different opera houses, it's pretty hardcore and you've Mm got to have, you've got to be completely and utterly devoted to it. And I just wasn't. Yeah. So I think rather than, I felt like I'd committed to something that my heart wasn't in, um, but I, ultimately, it was definitely the right choice. And and I still say I'm an opera singer. I still say I'm a musician because I am, you know, just because I'm not working on the stage doesn't take that away. And that was a big distinction for me, kind of being okay with the choice.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So what did you continue doing after that? How did you get to where you are now?
2: So the plan was, so um, obviously I'm Australian. My dad was... Um, he's British and grew up here, so kind of the Australian pastime is you get your two years, you know, pop on over to England and see Europe.
1: Um, <laughs> very interesting because they do it the other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do it the other way around. <laughs> I as often well. Get
2: the question <laughs> of why you're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought, okay, perfect time. Um, maybe try the last hurrah and see how how it goes singing wise in the UK. Um, and yeah, and got here and very quickly realised, okay, this is it. I'm I'm not into it. Mm. Um and I I just always been fascinated with producing and directing and curating and just everything that goes on to create that spectacular thing that you see on stage just not the singing. Um so I basically grafted for a good 6 months to a year um trying kind of assistant production roles Um, freelancing with a few festivals in live events, really kind of trying my hand at anything, Um, becoming a bit of a jack-of-all-trades specialist of none. (laughs) Um, And I think it it was when I started um, in artist management with a really tiny little firm in London um, that specialised in new music, um, kind of niche classical slash modern sort of genre it was then that I realized, okay, this is kind of the pocket that I'm, I'm really enjoying. I get to work with artists. I get to work in the creative realm, but I'm not directly doing it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where it started, the new sort of career projection from there.
0: Yeah, I was listening to your whole description of the opera world, and I had honestly never thought of it like that, Like because opera is not just the singing, it's obviously the acting and the, the whole... It's it's a whole show and a whole story. It's not just, okay, you know, let's make a set list. It's it's really a, a set um a set set of songs, you know, and 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 things yeah. you you have to do and the outfits and everything. I I really hadn't thought of it like that. So yeah, you have to audition, I suppose, for roles and yeah. uh, there's a lot of traveling you say. So I mean for 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 me as a non you know, I, I don't know a lot about opera, but if when you say the Sydney Opera House, for example, I'm like ooh wow, I, and I would think that a lot goes on over there. But you say that the mecca is Europe, and then I think oh yeah, of course, with Italy and and other countries. Escala, Milan, yeah. I mean yes, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm kind of lost. I'm like okay, and Italy, and then there must be other countries. So America, yeah, New if, York, met. Yeah, New York. Okay, New York as well. Yeah, absolutely. But okay. you're right, you're right. You sort of think Sydney Opera House, that's got to be it, right? Um, K- kind of, yeah. I, again, I don't know anything. So I'm kind of clearing this up for our listeners to, you know, who are yeah, yeah. saying like, oh, yes, opera world. Oh, I really hadn't thought of it that way. It's very, very, it must be, yeah, it must be very, it must be a heavy thing, you know, to, to, to uh, run around all over the place and then, you know, uh, the, these are mega big roles. Yeah. yeah. And there's constantly a lot of graph that goes into it. it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of. Yeah. I'm, I'm imagining it's kind of like a little bit like being a musical theatre person from not very from much. the music, but kind of from these. The kind of also the the having to play roles and then also sing and etc. Yeah, um, very similar. And they very go similar. around casting's a lot as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Very similar. Mm. I think the way to think about it. Uh, particularly the the music industry, at least from my um perspective in Australia is quite um it's quite insular. We're in Ireland, we're pretty far away from everyone else. So Sydney Opera House is amazing. And if you're kind of in the chapter of your life where you're ready to maybe have a family and settle down, the goal is to be a principal artist at Opera Australia, which is the Sydney Opera House, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um but if you're really chasing an international opera career, which if you're committed to it, that's what most people do. It's 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 Europe. Um, ah, OK, that's mm. kind of where the big stuff happens. Yeah.
1: OK, so it's like for music industry, everybody wants to go to L.A. Exactly.
2: Um, yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Actually, I have a question regarding opera, operatic singing. Yeah. Mm. Um, because um, I'm I'm a voice teacher as well, and um, I went through a phase where my voice was um, mistrained by going through several different genres. And I was originally classically trained, um, not by an operatic singer per se, but she was trained by an op- by a classic like actual opera singer. Yeah. Um, and um, I remember learning in the process of rebuilding my voice and rebuilding muscle memory and like retraining the whole kind of muscular function. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned that um, it wasn't until Richard Wagner came along with his operas that people had to sing super loud in opera. Um, so I was wondering if that's something that is uh, is a thing in, in, in um in your community in the opera uh, opera community if people know about this that beforehand it was like you could sing in a specific way and afterwards since Richard Wagner came he made this huge orchestral stuff and you had to sing super loud to get above that because I've I've read articles about how um, opera singers nowadays oftentimes can't sing past a specific age while opera singers from back in the day can still sing at 70 80
2: yeah Um, absolutely I
1: was just interested to see your perspective on that
2: yes I mean super interesting point I um, one quite sort of unique thing about the opera industry is that your or the operatic arts is that you're very much well I have been at least defined by your voice type so I'm a, I'm a soprano and specifically I'm a soubrette which means that that sort of lends itself to the type of roles that I would play so the kind of mm-hmm. short cutesy often sort of um, funny often cheeky roles like the Mozart, you know, kind of roles. Um, So if you're a Wagnerian soprano, that's a very specific voice type. And they're heavy, they're weighted, thus the volume. So it's a particular Mm -hmm. type of voice that can carry. I couldn't sing Wagner, for example, no matter how hard I try. Um, So, I mean, in terms of the, the lifespan of an opera singer, Um, certainly the technique I was taught is bel canto which is the Italian method and it's very much singing on the breath which you don't touch musculature your vocal folds none of that is involved it's it's basically long lines singing on air Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and if that technique is adhered to strictly there's no reason why there wouldn't be proper longevity to your to vocal career but quite often I mean, that's incredibly hard to achieve. I mean, that's what we all train for, right? Yeah. Um, I, so I, I, from an outsider's perspective, I don't know how the Wagnerian soprano, sopranos do it. I genuinely don't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very specific
0: voice type and art form in itself. Yeah. Wow. I have, I had no idea that there was so, oh my God, it's so intricate. I have to Google (laughs) more about this. (laughs) Yeah, it's a a minefield. Yeah. yeah. It's
1: just really interesting um, because uh, having worked with a voice a lot myself and having learned a lot about my own voice in the process, um, it's very interesting to see how, um, our voices are shaped by the people who compose it, who weren't necessarily people who actually sang. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, yeah. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Um, I wanted to ask you a bit more about Australia specifically, um, about any obstacles that you might have encountered in, in, in the music biz there as a woman. Um, because you you, you have... Europe or the UK as as a, a counterweight that you can compare it to. Were there more tangible obstacles around gender in the in in Australia or the UK or the other way around? Uh, do you do you think? I mean, I'll, I'll first up
2: say my experience as a performer in that realm is was pretty limited compared to other people that have been singing for decades and decades, but. From this, from from my time in both countries, I'd say probably Australia had more challenges when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to gender. Um, I love my country, and I'm certainly not bashing it, but I think every Australian <laughs> will acknowledge that there's some deep-rooted misogyny behind Australian culture, white Australian culture, not Indigenous. Yeah. Um, and that you know, like anything toxic goes into every industry mm. so you know definitely I mean it was funny I was thinking about in preparation for this podcast I was thinking about you know any anecdotes or, or experiences that I'd had personally and luckily I, I actually haven't but what I did notice quite um, quite a lot actually was was how men were treated um, in the opera world so there's a there's a huge stereotype that you know men of a certain sexuality will be singers in the opera world, which is a complete misconception. Ah, okay. Um, and another thing is, as I mentioned before, you're very defined by your voice type. So you've, you've got basses, you've got baritones, you've got tenors, sometimes countertenors. And with each of those voice types, there is an expectation on the level of sort of masculinity. So mm. a bass plays the big dominant male roles. And there's an assumption that they'll probably be heterosexual in in their personal lives. Um, similarly, there's a really awful stereotype that tenors are typically camp and flouncy and, and it, you know, it's tied into obviously the roles that they're playing. Um, mm. but I think there's really unhelpful boxes for people, um, in the operatic world, particularly for men, but, you know, women as well. I mean, I'm not the tall, glamorous, um, Italian opera singer that I'd love to be. <laughs> I'm a short... You know, quite stout Aussie girl. Um, you know, and going into castings, I am a soprano, so there's lots of roles I can play. But I, I was typically, always put in that soprano role because mm. I didn't look a certain way. I could mm. never play Carmen. You know, it's um, so. There's definitely, I suppose that that was a personal barrier for me, definitely.
0: Yeah. So it's it's more the way the do we call them plays no we call them operas what do we call them operas yeah operas the way the operas themselves have been written and the expectation of what the the um uh the roles look like is just you know is just a uh, Kept the same throughout all the time instead of kind of modernizing it and saying, OK, yeah. anybody with this kind of voice can actually play it, whether they're tall, short or blonde or not. It, it doesn't yeah. matter. So it's, it's really. Yeah. OK, so we have to dig deeper into well, this is this is for, for uh, this is a good one for season four. <laughs> we, we should yeah. dig into writers of operas. and And
1: musicals probably and musicals
0: and yes but like old ones old ones um Mm. where you know where these where do these characters come from and why were they so typical and is it you know you can't fill in the the, you know you can't put one actor in that opera because uh, their hair is different
1: very interesting is is it actually like is it actually also blonde hair is required for some some of these things or is it more so, about stature and stature. Yeah. So
2: I mean, one of the sort of misconceptions about opera is that it's kind of stand on the stage and sing, but it's incredibly fluid and there's a lot of movement. I mean, most sort of modern adaptations of I don't know, Carmen, for example. Um, you know, I, I remember watching an opera when I was quite young and the soprano sung her Coloratura passage at the top of a staircase and promptly had to fall down because that was written <sighs> in the text but you she had to learn to sing to fall downstairs and you know part of our training is movement coach we have a movement coach and when you're actually Mm. blocking your scenes quite often there's really really physical things um that you're required to do whilst in the middle of an aria um so yes I would say stature is something that definitely excludes some people um Mm. hair color and stuff like that you know they'll hair and makeup we'll deal with. But I'd say definitely, yeah, weight, height, um, definitely a barrier Mm -hmm. for sure.
1: No, because I was thinking if uh, a lot of uh, operas, uh, I'm assuming, are also Italian and Italians did not have blonde hair. No, um, no. As a general rule. Yeah. (laughs) Now they all do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean,
2: French, German, Italian, Russian, Mm -hmm. um, but they're all really old texts, so... Yeah. I suppose it's reasonable to exe- expect that the the characters are going to be have that all sort of old-school gender roles.
1: Yeah.
0: This is so interesting. And now that you're saying that, I've, I've never been to an opera, so that's my bad. <laughs> I didn't think <laughs> of it that way. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, as in a play, you know, and they, like, lift you up and then they do things and, and reach. And so, yeah, so it, that reminds me of um, – when you were singing to my song for the listeners out there, my song love syndrome is featuring Sammy (laughs) and um, Sammy was eight months pregnant at the time. And I was a bit embarrassed, like asking, Oh, would you, you know, would you want to sing a little opera piece on my, you know, classical voice piece on my, um, on my song? Because I don't know how, you know, uh, annoying it might be if you're eight months <laughs> pregnant and you need to do this. As she a breeze into the studio, oh yeah, I'll do this, <laughs> la 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 la. And then, uh, you know, like tw- not even twenty minutes later, it was all you know done ups in the can. And then <laughs> she 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 went she went off and, like it it was nothing. So I, I'm supposing it's from all that movement training and and all the training you were having. That I mean, I thought that was amazing. <laughs> no thank you muscle yeah. memory
2: doesn't yeah, go yeah.
1: that's true yeah yeah i mean I, like I, mean, I don't
2: the most i sing now is lullabies to raf but it, you know no. it's with perfect bel canto technique oh
0: <laughs> yes I, oh he must have like, the perfect <laughs> sing song to go See, that to that's funny to
1: because when i sing like children's songs i go back to my children's vocal voice you know yeah. like um what is it? Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Yeah, you yeah. Go into that kind of ah.
2: Um. Yeah, yeah.
1: La, but yeah. operatically. What is that? Twinkle, twinkle, little star. That's it. And it just like, <laughs> Doesn't yeah. sound quite right. No, quite the
0: same. Topic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We need a demo time, Sammy. We need a demo time. <laughs> oh, no, do no, do no, two no. phrases. No? No. <laughs> you don't want to do it? Listeners, go and listen to Dana's
1: music. There's your demo. Ah!
0: <laughs> no, it's
1: nothing like that. Well, I, I I would second that. Go listen to that song um, for more yes. than one reason. However, uh, I have another question for you, Sammy. Um, go for it. Because it ties into kind of the question I was leading before. Um, how do you think, having seen both sides of the coin now, I, I imagine, um, how do you think the differences between how women are seen in pop and how women are seen in classical music?
2: Ooh, I'd say now this is tricky because I've seen the, I've seen the managerial side of the pop industry now in my current role, but -hmm. from the outside, from a general public perspective, I would say women in opera are seen as quite traditional, quite um, feminine, uh, they kind of fit into that girly opera sort of, um, yeah, o- old school feminist, uh, feminine role. And I'd say women in pop are, from my perspective, seen as far more powerful and in control and um, probably much more representative of a modern day woman. Yay! That's
1: really interesting. <laughs> that is so but
2: then interesting. I didn't expect yeah. I mean, that I, answer. Well, in saying that, I know I know from the other side of the pop industry how that power and that control is is often not the case. Um, mm. you know, and it's a very sort of layered picture for women in pop. But yeah, I, I mean, I'd say certainly from my perspective, someone who you know listens to to pop music and enjoys it from a sort of punter's perspective, yeah, powerful going out there.
1: So- do you think that that ties into you maybe, and this is me assuming, uh, having felt put into that box of kind of having to be feminine in that old school manner, having to wear those dresses, etc. Did you feel confined or did you enjoy that when doing classical music?
2: Ooh. I don't know. Do you know what? I don't think I ever did, actually. I think... I think maybe if I had worked in the industry longer, perhaps, and felt those barriers of like, no, I want to play a powerful, you know, sup- I don't know, mezzo role, a pants role, where you're playing mm-hmm. a man, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly for the time I was in the industry and working, um, I felt quite happy in in the roles that I got to play. But as I say, I got quite lucky. I, I um, you know, I got to play pretty fun, cheeky roles that had had a voice and you know, got up to a bit of mischief. So, yeah, for me personally, I, f- I feel like I got quite lucky there. Amazing.
0: You just said um, play a man. So mm-hmm. men and women play e- can play each other's roles in opera? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Interesting.
2: Yeah. So mezzos, um, you have sopranos and mezzos are the sort of slightly lower voice or altos at the, as they're known in choirs. Um, quite often play what they call pants roles, which pants. is where they may be playing a little boy or a young man.
0: Um, so, yeah, that's quite common. Oh, so I would definitely be playing a young man <laughs> <laughs> with pants. Oh, lovely. That's, no, that's so interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah. even think of that. But, yeah, it's true. I mean, they they kind of mix it all up, which is also very… It's a bit weird. You know, you start off with um, the Greeks who also kind of, uh, well, there it was all men playing all the roles, I guess. Uh, So they had to play the women roles as well. And then you go on to opera where women can play male roles, but do men play female roles?
2: Uh, unless it's an actual gender swap as part of the storyline, I oh. don't think so. Okay, I think it's mainly mm. women playing men. Okay, but it is a strange dichotomy, and that there's that sort of gender fluidity in that respect. But then in another yeah. respect, it's very traditional. Yeah, it's,
0: it's, I was yeah. just going to say. Then you know that the the, very interesting. the head role can't be this or that, well, guess, but for the rest, I guess
1: it does tie into if you're saying you know bar- uh, basses are very manly, baritones maybe slightly less so, tenors usually seen as Camp or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and if you then say, okay, a woman is allowed to play a young man, that would play into the kind of higher voices being seen as more feminine and young yeah. boys not being seen as full men yet. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it does kind of tie into that. Um, yeah.
2: I think the thing yeah. about opera is that there's lots of these strange isms about it. But one thing that I've noticed is that it's just it is the way it is. It's been done that way for a very long time, and it's very set in its ways and it's tradition in a way a lot of the, mm-hmm. a lot of the things that go on it's it's um yeah and but you know, I've been out of the industry for a while. I'm sure it's modernizing. I'm sure there's new adaptations of of old operas that are far more fluid and up to date and mm.
0: um and modern, yeah. Well, I think that's something that we should uh, find out. So I've
1: gone through my life um, for a long time thinking I was a, sp- a soprano because I was classically trained in the beginning. Um, I didn't have my lower end. I didn't have access to it um, mm-hmm. because my teacher didn't learn how to access hers until very late in the game. And so um it, it was once a blockage on my side and then for another side, she didn't know how to teach it to me properly. Um, mm-hmm. And so now that I've accessed my lower register and um, also turning 25 around that time, your voice does drop a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I find I can sing quite low, lower than a soprano technically should sing, but I can still sing as high as a soprano. So I've mm-hmm. reclassified myself as a mezzo, but I'm not sure that's actually true because I can't sing as low as Dana can. So
2: so are you a mezzo or are you a soprano?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, I just, I'm not a mezzo. Again, I'm not an author. Uh, you are a mezzo. Okay. No, no, I'm not. I'm a contralto. Oh, you're not? Or is that the same thing? Ooh, I have no idea. Oh, very low.
2: No, yes. no, no. That's
0: different. Yeah, very low. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I wouldn't know what mezzo is actually. I I I thought it was higher than. Than I can sing. I mean, the lowest part I can go pretty low. One common misconception about voice type is
2: that it's based on, I can sing from C to C. It, you know that it's based mm. on a particular range. Certainly, the way it was taught to me was that it's actually based more on a quality of your voice. Ah. Right, So my voice is quite ringy. It's quite textured in the lower register, but in my high, um particularly my my real top. um, it's quite well, it's sort of called whistle tone. It's mm-hmm. um, uh, so the way that they describe a mezzo is is by texture. So you know a mezzo usually can sing almost as high as a soprano um but it, they they have a richness to the lower register they have a warmth um and that's what classifies them
1: right yeah that's cool. super interesting thank yeah. you for clearing that up i'm sure a lot of people will find that really helpful yeah right.
0: i uh, indeed indeed we need to relook up everything <laughs> that we <laughs> thought we knew <laughs> awesome Um, actually, Micah, didn't you have another question about the classical versus pop, but there was something about, um, look, pop being looked down upon that you had, um, had in your, you know, you had experienced something like this in, in uni. Mm.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Yes. So, uh, (laughs) um, when I studied uh, music, I studied contemporary music performance. So we went through contemporary music from blues upwards, so specifically not classical. Um, mm-hmm. and um we in that course, it was told to us repeatedly by our teachers and insinuated heavily that pop was something that only people did who didn't know anything about music that pop was the music for stupid people and for untalented people and for people that um didn't weren't very musical and um didn't want to actually put in any effort um and um like i know a lot of that is also kind of maybe bitterness that they didn't weren't very successful with their music and pop a lot of the time is and sometimes yes the stuff that you hear on the radio can be
0: annoying you can sit there and
1: ask yourself <laughs> how is this on the radio how did yes, this happen yeah what is going on there's like three <laughs> sentences in this song nothing to it whatsoever so I get that but it took me a while to actually kind of find myself to be happy singing pop music because of that um that that feeling looked down upon um Mm. and 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 stuff so I don't remember specifically what I wanted to ask about that however um is that something you've experienced with different genres or um in classical music or coming into um the field you're in now is that something you've kind of um come across before
2: yeah definitely definitely I mean particularly during my education at the Conservatoire, it was a really kind of, you know, it, we were sort of seen as elite. There was, mm-hmm. um, I think, 40 of us in my year, um, and that included instrumentalists, opera singers. Um, and there was a, there was definitely a real sense of uh, we're the best, essentially, which I must admit I didn't feel. Um, I was really new to opera. So I was probably the only person that was kind of like, oh, give it a go, um, and then found <laughs> myself there. Uh, also, th- you know, a lot of people had come from lineage of of classical music, oh. pretty elite education. Oh. I mean, that is a, a generalisation, but certainly my experience, there was a lot of people that had come from money, um, mm-hmm. and I was the very opposite. I'd come from a broken home. I'd moved interstate and thought, bugger it, let's give it a go. You know, I've got nothing else. Um. So there was definitely jibes at, at, at my, you know, my university also offered contemporary music, um, musical mm-hmm. theatre. There was definitely jibes and a little bit of looking down on the other art forms. Huh. Um, I personally didn't agree um, and now I now work in the pop industry, not as a performer but, you know, working with artists.
1: Mm.
2: And there's a hell of a lot of graft that goes in in that, you know, arena. Um, but I think I think maybe where it comes from is that, You know, for an example, an opera singer's training includes obviously the vocal training. We have to do movement. We have to do conducting. We have to do orchestral arrangements. We have to analyse scores. We have to do musical theory. We have to learn French, German and Italian and and vocal pedagogy to be able to teach. Mm -hmm. So there's a hell of a lot of um, additional education that goes on behind just being able to sing on a stage. But then I think, in turn, we didn't understand the intricacies that go into learning contemporary. You know, mm. you guys basically have to learn how to engineer, yep. how to do your own micing, how to understand mm. again movement and stage in pop music. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just an it's it's not understanding the other art form or respecting where they come from and what they can do. Yep. Um, but yeah, definitely seen it in the industry for sure.
1: Yeah. It's so interesting because, um, thankfully, you didn't have the kind of blockage that I had. I felt for a while, um, mm. but it is it is very um, disconcerting for people who go to a course f- with contemporary to find out which style they actually like. Because we went through mm. blues, jazz, soul, disco, um, R and B, etc., etc. We went through so many different styles: rock, country. We had it all. Mm. Um, so um, everybody was kind of supposed to find their style and we didn't do proper pop until like, I think the last semester of second year. Oh, wow. um, and uh, we went through everything else beforehand. And I think it's just, there was so much talk about um, how I, th- I think it really came from um stuff being on the radio that and people becoming popular that musically there wasn't a lot of effort in mm. um or it which I, i've seems heard seems like it isn't you know yeah
2: I think the um, difficulty is pop can be quite formulaic right it can yeah, be yeah. you know four chords but the way i think about it is at the end of the day do you listen to music for its? complexity and for its chordal structure and for its arrangement no you listen to it because it makes you feel something mm. and yeah, pop, ma- exactly. pop can make me feel something you know
1: yeah yeah, yeah. and that's interesting because I started listening to music differently through my through my studies like yeah. I've always been singing my entire life and I've always been on stage but through studying it um, through doing all the kind of we also did arrangements and and learning to sing off a sheet of you know sheet of paper and, and, and stuff yeah. like that um And through learning all of those things, I started listening to music differently. And I think that once you start listening to music differently, you do start analyzing those things. So you develop this kind of sense of, oh, Mm. but that's very simple. But at the end of the day, it's not the simplicity. Well, sometimes the simplicity is the beauty. It's so good. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, it it took me a while to kind of get off of that. You know, that judgment surrounding pop, which mm. um, I just found very interesting. And, um, yeah, it, I I just want to share that with people as well, to just don't judge yourself yeah, your music choices or what Absolutely. you do, because everything is valid. And, for sure. Um, um, I'm super-duper yeah.
2: eclectic. Matt will come into the room and be like, what are you listening to? I love everything <laughs> from Rachmaninoff to Abba to, you know, Simmel. It's, it's really...
1: Mm.
0: You like what you like, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and you're you
1: right. <laughs> so,
0: well, yeah. let's talk a little tiny a little tiny bit about what you're doing now in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also two years ago you became a mum. Congratulations. I did. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what was it like to announce um, your pregnancy in the workplace? I was really lucky. It was really well received.
2: Um I felt fully supported. It was um it was what I wanted, which was it's not a big deal. You know, we respect you in what you do in your role. You're having a kid, great. Congratulations. Where you want to go from there, we'll support you. Um so luckily for me I, I I feel like the reception was was exactly what I had wanted.
0: That's great. Yeah, because yeah, there are indeed some people who might be afraid to to say something at work because, yeah, you don't know about the repercussions. Is there still going to be yeah. a job when you come back or, you know, have they kind of made other arrangements? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There was fear about, it was less about losing my job. I knew in in, in my actual day-to-day job was was safe and and, and by me saying I was you know, going on maternity leave to have a child that was accepted and fine. Um but yeah, I think there was definitely some anxiety around how being a mum and working would impact my career moving forward, will it slow me down? Do I need to look for something
0: more fitting? So really after after the yeah. After the initial uh, maternity leave, you mean, you know, like what would going back to work look like and, that's when and stuff I, like that? Yeah, that's definitely when I started thinking
2: about, okay, what does this look like mm. long term? You know, m- for me, maternity leave was, I didn't I didn't think about work. You're just all consumed with this tiny screaming little bundle of joy, um, you know, and then you get to like sort of 11, 12 months and, and you think, okay, you know, now what? Um, and I was always pretty certain that I wanted to be a pretty hands-on mum, and I also knew that a really important part of my own mental health and just general sense of self was that I didn't want to completely withdraw from the industry, and I I needed to keep working in some respect. Like a five-day-a-week, nine-to-five wasn't going to fit me. Um, So, yeah, it took a really long time to kind of figure out what would work um for being both a mum and and someone working it's still a really really difficult juggling act
0: so you're saying you didn't want to be a nine to five uh you know you didn't want a nine to five job your job is also in the weekend or in the evenings how how does that work exactly
2: Um, i mean covid kind of helped it along but my work's really flexible in terms of when we work I mean obviously I'm I have my work days rafts in nursery um but you know if I need to do a bit in the evening that's cool it's it's basically we trust you we work with you if the work's done brilliant and that's okay that
0: way okay I see yeah so it's not that usually you know you you had to work on events or something that were in the weekend already before I mean that's interesting in that I don't do events
2: anymore um and that is something that I have sacrificed since being a mum.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I see. And was that yeah. your own choice?
2: Yeah, it was definitely. It wasn't I wasn't pushed out. The opportunities are still there in terms of roles that I could apply for. They're still available. Um, it's purely a personal choice in that I'm not prepared to leave RAF for, you know, a month, for example. Yeah. you know to go and work on a festival or it's it's just my personal choice it, it might be seen as pretty traditional um but I think you got to do what works for you right and your family awesome. um and particularly when he's teeny tiny still you know when he's off at school great you know I'll go and do a tour but
0: for now this is what suits yeah I think that's I think that's very important to highlight that it's your choice you know if yeah you choose it. You're not pushed into it. You literally said, okay, look, I have all these options still, but I still want to do it this way, which looks traditional, but yeah. it's still your choice. And that's what's amazing. You know, that's... Yeah. To me, that's exactly That's exactly what we need. It's choice, right? It's yeah. choice. And the it's the freedom. Yeah. So even, yeah. yeah, even though, oh, you know, ooh, it might be, uh, you know, it looks like I'm doing, you know, something that might be, yeah. No, I, I think that's really good. And I think that's actually very brave <laughs> to <laughs> not want to, you know, go, oh, no, now I have to, you know, keep proving myself or keep doing this or keep doing that or keep, you know, it's, it's, if, if, obviously, when you have a child, your priorities shift, I think that everybody yeah. will understand that. And, yeah, I I think that's I think that's really great that you were able to stay in your um your normal job. You didn't have to change anything and if you if you want to start something up again that you know the opportunities are there. I think uh that's we need amazing. more of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah.
1: Awesome. So, um I guess we have one more question for you. Far um, away. Which we ask everybody. <laughs> so <Okay. laughs> uh, we are going to ask you Have you ever been called such a bitch?
2: Oh, have I? Dun dun a dun! In a, in a professional capacity? Yes. I don't think yes. so.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't think so. I'm mm-hmm. sure one of my siblings has called me that. But yeah, no, not at work. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i think Amazing. i've escaped that label <laughs> Very cool. oh and not yeah, in opera, opera land Actually, especially in opera yeah you can like, call the diva or something
2: yeah i was i mean in every sphere of whatever job i've been in i've always been the the sort of scrappy underdog so i've never been the diva <laughs> uh. yeah
0: yeah not I me can, i can i can say that sammy is the nicest person ever (laughs) i don't know if if you're calling her a bitch that's like i don't know you know where you're coming from but uh it's not possible yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right so
1: funny because you remind me of naomi
0: (laughs) yeah 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 it's Micah's oh, friend it's- who's also very nice, and nobody could ah. ever call her a bitch. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> it's insane. Yeah.
0: It's not a word when anyone needs to be called, hey? Exactly.
1: This exactly. Is true. Yeah. All right. I guess that's all for today. So um, thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Unboxing Women. And thank you, Sammy, for coming on the show. We've had an absolute blast if you've ever had an experience you'd like to share with us send us a dm or tag us in your posts with the hashtag such a bitch don't forget to support your favorite artist through merch or donations my name is Micah rose and i've been chatting with dana X and sami Yankovic. this is a weekly show so make sure to tune back in next week same time same place thanks again for listening and we'll see you soon bye bye